to give everybody out there listening a very warm White Cat welcome because you're tuned in to the White Cat Outdoors podcast. What's going on, everyone? White here, White Cat Outdoors podcast. Uh, if anyone was wondering, I still don't have coronavirus, and Tom also doesn't have it. He's sitting right there. Uh, healthy as a horse. How about that? Nick, do you have it yet? Nope, but I am keeping my distance. We're three feet apart. All right. No <laughs> gatherings over 100 people? None yep. of that? Right. I think it's 10 now. 10? Oh, They're man. No we're, people under, t- no groups under 10. We're almost to half of that because yep. uh, we got one more over here that still doesn't have coronavirus. Still don't have it. Feels good to be back, guys. But uh, make sure you got your hand sanitizer on you, practicing that social distancing. Hopefully everyone's got their toilet paper because it's going to get wild out there. Who knows? It could. I, I know I stocked up. Tom, weren't you doing doing the math earlier about people buying like 48 rolls and using 15 sheets per No, he's more shapes. Yeah, I'm not a numbers guy. I'm a shapes guy. Uh, well, but they I have saw, squares in the... How many I, squares I saw of a paper? video of this guy that was doing the math, and it turned out to somewhere where you'd have to use... If you bought like 50 rolls, you'd have to use like 20 sheets per poop for like 144 poops a day or something. That's a lot of poops a day. Is yeah. that on a Mexican diet or just like <laughs> more of like a cheese and pasta diet? Yeah, I'm not really sure. Uh, it's because that could greatly I'm affect sure your consumption. My math is way off. Well, because this was a video I watched. <laughs> and really was didn't. it on the internet? So it should be. Yeah, it it's 100 percent reliable. But yeah. I wasn't really paying that close attention to it. it. It was a lot, a lot of, a lot of paper involved, a lot of math. Well, just as long as you're not taking 144 poops a day, everyone should be good on toilet paper. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of a lot, Frank, why don't you go into uh, the large amount of podcast platforms where you're on now? Because, you know, we've been hammering, getting us out there so everybody can listen no matter what podcast platform you're on. Yeah, Nick's really been putting in the work getting us on different platforms. So just give me one second. I'm probably not going to run through these every single time now because there's so many. I used to say, you know, quick little thing of how many podcast platforms we were on. I'm not doing it anymore. This is the last time. I'll probably just hit a couple of the big ones from now on. So listen now if you want to hear them all. One, two, three, go. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pandora, Spreaker, iHeartRadio, Podbay, CastBox, Podbean, YouTube, WhiteCatOutdoors.com, and also TuneIn. Nick wrote that one off to the side, so that's why it came last. That's um, and also, you always got to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to the YouTube channel. And uh, yeah, press that little bell, get the notifications. We're going to start dropping videos hard here, so get ready for them. Oh, yeah. We've been saying we're going to get serious about dropping videos, but like we mean it now. Like, we, we had one. We just, it's been, it's going to get real. This yeah. whole uh, coronavirus outbreak's really, uh, it's putting the kibosh on things. It's it is. really and tied we had us a, up a little bit. Yeah, we had a crap winter that didn't really lend itself to any ice fishing videos or stream fishing videos. We did get one released, so just just keep an eye out. It's going to start happening. It's going to get wild. So stay stay tuned, as they say. As they say. And also one more quick little thing. Um, the big part about putting out videos is uh, having an idea to put out. So if you guys want to see anything. Um, Get a hold of us somehow. You know, you guys know how to do it, and uh, let us know what you want to see a video on, and we'll see what we can do to make it. So now that we got all that housekeeping out of the way, oh wait, no, I nope. got one more thing to say. I almost one forgot. little more bit of housekeeping. Uh, all you listeners, could we have a show of hands at who listens on YouTube? That many? Okay, that that's quite a few. Um, we would like to extend an apology to you guys because for some reason, 
Steve YouTube has not been letting us put our podcasts on the past two weeks. So we put them on, they get deleted, we appeal it. They're like, oh no, you don't break any rules. They put it back on. 10 minutes later, they take it back down. So if anyone's been wondering what's going on, that's what the deal is. We're working on getting it rectified. Hopefully this week's podcast is on there and stays on there. And if it's not, we're really sorry, but good thing I gave you 15 other podcast platforms to listen on. So go tune in, tune yourself in on one of those. For sure. Thank you, Frank. So I think we, that is all the housekeeping. That is right? all the housekeeping. I think so. so. I, think I think we're all swept up here. Let's get into the meat and potatoes on tonight's podcast. And that is our second host hot seat. And it's going to be featuring... Could you have like a little siren or a bell go off? Thanks, Tom. Woo. <laughs> Thank you. That was uh, professional sound effects by Tom. He also does shapes on the weekends. <laughs> I'll be here all week. <laughs> so Frank Myers is going to be sitting in the hot seat tonight. We're going to be bombarding him with some questions, figuring out what gets him outside. And uh, we actually have a few fan-submitted questions for oh, you man. towards the end. So, uh, Frank, why don't you just... Wait, before oh, we dive oh, right into oh, it, oh. I, I want to crack one more beer. Just one. Okay, just one. Anyone so, else? Just a quick one. Nope. I'm actually He's going to crack good. a beer. And stay tuned while we figure out who the white behind White Cat is. That's right. That's where White Cat comes from. Half yep. white. Tom, you don't have to explain cat. it. You've done it before. Yeah, we've white we've been cat. there. We've been there. Um, so okay, what, what do you what do you want to know? So I think first off, let's. Uh, well, break it okay. let's, we end. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I, you guys said I need to talk more. I usually get interrupted when I talk. So now you should I'm probably start do interrupting. interrupting. It's a good tactic. Let's see how it works. Yeah. So normally we end our videos or our podcast with Nick closing out saying, whatever you do, make sure you get outside. So let's start off with Frank here telling us how he gets outside. Well, I mean, you guys know a little bit about me from all the previous podcasts, you know, what I like to do and get outside and basically where I started the whole getting outside deal. Um, you guys met my dad in the Alaska Lead Outfitters podcast, Frank Myers, and he is literally the basis of everything getting me outside from day one. I literally cannot remember a time in my life where I wasn't, you know, doing something with him outside, whether it was fishing or shooting guns, you know. My one of my earliest memories is actually fishing at Nick and Tom's house and I caught a big old bass, monster, and you know, me and my dad were out there just having fun fishing and real good time so i literally i i couldn't pick one specific thing to say this is like my first outdoor experience because i literally can't remember but that's like the earliest thing that i remember and yeah so that's that's where it all started and from there it just kept going i literally do everything outside as you guys know i'm all about hunting and fishing and so now that we know that you do everything outside what's what's your bread and butter i mean we know that uh, Tommy here is real big on that hunting and trapping, and Nick's more geared towards the whitetail, and I'm big on the streams. So uh, what's what's your, your bread and butter? I'm all about literally just chasing anything with my bow. It, if it involves my bow, I'll go after it. Big I'm being guy. a national champion with a shotgun in your hand. We'll get to that later. I wasn't a national champion. All-American? Yeah, we'll, we'll get to it later. We'll, we'll, we'll brush up on that. We'll talk about it. Um, so yeah, uh, mostly I'm I'm real big on the bow. I'll chase anything with a bow. I love deer hunting, but I'm not like a lot of people like really focus hard on deer hunting. Like that, is, deer hunting is their specific passion, and I don't really like to focus on one specific thing. I mean, I I like obviously if it's that's what I'm hunting, that's what I do. 
I put my heart and soul into that, but I'll chase anything, really. Have you ever shot a turkey with a bow? I know a lot of people kind of want to get into that and try that, but never really got the chance to. Have you ever? I never have. Um, <laughs> kind of a stupid story. Actually, you know what? I'm not even going to tell because I don't know if it's legal. Please, so. No. Yeah. <laughs> never mind. I didn't I, actually accomplish it, so I didn't break any laws, but um, never mind. Well, it, attempting murder is still breaking the law, so. I didn't even come close so it's literally not important thinking anymore. about it's not illegal yeah true exactly. <laughs> premeditation is not illegal um it is though <laughs> uh so yeah i have not killed one with a bow i've got some places that i've thought about i was gonna do it last year but i ended up not having a ton of time in turkey season last year to do it so well i was gonna do it in the fall so i just haven't really gone out i'm I would like to try to get it done this spring, so we'll see how it goes. I'm really honing in with the bow. Me and Nick are shooting a winter video league with our bows, so feeling pretty confident I could take one out. So we'll see how it goes. Now, so, would you do the old spot and stock, or would you like start with a ground blind and then work up from there? I would probably do the spot and stock. I mean, not really. It's it's. Not really spot in stock. It's not an elk. It's more of like a call and it's listen, like a listen in, stock. in stock. Yeah. So I would probably go with well, that. Well, I, I guess I was more referring to them. You see those videos of the guys with the decoys. That's that, illegal in Pennsylvania, Tom. Really? Yep. Well, I don't want to break any it. laws. Good thing I've never done it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I wouldn't do something like that. Um, I just plan on the, my spring tactic is to just... I'll call, listen, and if I can bring them right into my lap, then... So same approach as you would with a shotgun. Yeah, absolutely, basically. But hopefully with a with bow. With a bow. Yeah. Yeah, you know. Yeah, so you did say that your main passion when it comes to the outdoors is archery. Yeah. Um, and we've all heard on the podcast your story of your Pope and Young, but I am aware of a other big game animal you've taken with a bow um, at a pretty young age up in Alaska. Yeah, I shot um, my black bear with so a bow. So why don't we go over that a little bit, because I think that's a pretty cool feet especially at the age you did it um it's pretty remarkable yeah i think i was 13 when i did it so i wasn't like crazy young but pretty young i mean give us i mean that's usually a year after you can actually legally hunt with a bow in this area give us the juice give us the details all the tips tactics okay so yeah that's actually a good point tom why don't you break down how you go about hunting black bear up in alaska well it's it's pretty simple up there in alaska the area that we were hunting in you can bait so we straight up. So that's straight up Ted Nugent style. Yeah, straight up Teddy style. And it, I tell you what, it worked. It, uh, what kind I, of what jelly donuts? I was going to say, jelly donuts or? Uh, we used dog food. And like what we, what we did, no, we didn't have any Kool-Aid. Mm. That stuff costs too much up there. Uh, so what we did, we take a 55-gallon drum and you cut a small hole in it, like a credit card-sized hole. And you put. More of a slot, isn't it? No, a oh, like a rectangular neck. hole. Yeah, I'm not saying uh, the. It's more of a notch or a channel. When you, when you no, say that's it. not what he's talking about. Well, you're, you're not sliding talk, the credit well, card I in. I wouldn't call it a hole. I'd call Tom's it. You the, cut a small window. Yeah, let's, Tom's let's call the shape window. guy. What would you call it? I would say you cut a hole the size of a rectangle. That's the size, <laughs> the of, size, of, a size of a rectangle. <laughs> All right. So Tom's, how big is the rectangle? The size of a credit card. Okay. Cut a rectangle the size of a credit card. Go ahead, Brent. <laughs> so then when the bear comes up, he knows that that dog food's in there. You don't fill it the whole way, obviously. Uh, you just put probably 20 pounds in there. And then the bear just starts rolling that barrel around getting the dog food out. So he it gives you a lot more time to look at it and judge what the bear is so you don't 
accidentally shoot something that's smaller. You know, it just gives you a good gauge because the barrel's a good gauge for how big a bear is. So while he's sitting there playing around with the barrel, you can judge him and see exactly how big he is. So that's what we did. I was up there for, well, I was there for two weeks. And the first three days I was there, I was just kind of helping out in camp and doing different things. I wasn't hunting. I went out with uh, my dad and this other lady that was in camp and she shot a really nice cinnamon bear. It wasn't a monster. It was probably 250 pound bear, but it was beautiful, real nice cinnamon. And I was actually, when I, we saw it a couple days, like the first day I was in camp, we saw it and I was like, oh man, I, I'd kind of like to shoot that one, but she ended up shooting it and I was real happy for her. So even though I wanted it, but I wasn't bummed out. Uh, so then I went back two days after she shot that bear, I sat in the same, at the same bait that that bear was killed at and I got mine. It was a nice 200 pound black bear, about six footer. Excuse me. And yeah, uh, that's basically it. I mean, I just how, sit. How far away were you from, like, I guess, how would you set up on a bait pile when you're using a bow? Uh, we had, there was like most of the baits that we had up there, there were stands at. So we, it was just set up the tree stand wherever, you know, so if you wanted a bow shot, it was set it up 20 yards away. A couple of them, we just kind of made like real quick ground blinds. And that was like, honestly, the coolest experience I had that whole hunt wasn't even killing my bear the one bait we were sitting at me and dad were sitting on the ground and we had like this big pile of like sticks and brush in front of us and that pile was like two feet in front of me and you know we we're kind of sitting behind it behind it and the pile was probably like about five feet wide um and we we're watching this one bear at the bait and i didn't you know it was too small i didn't want to shoot it it was about a 150 pound bear and we're watching it for about 10 minutes and he starts getting curious because they're insanely curious animals and he starts you know i think he probably smelled us a little bit so he was getting curious and started walking over to us and started walking up that pile of sticks right in front of us that was our blind and my dad had a rifle in his hand and he had it was just kind of like propped up on his knee you know pointing out towards the bait and the bear's just slowly walking up and it can see us but it doesn't quite have everything figured out and it's literally a little bit more than the barrel length away from us it's right on top of us and dad clicked the safety off just to get ready and the bear heard the safety click and just stopped and stood there for a second and then slowly backed off it was it was a really really cool experience and you know it kind of makes you nervous but i mean obviously there's a gun right there so it's not like you're going to die and bears usually once they know you're there, they're, they're not going to hang around or try to fight you for any, like at the bait sites, you know, it's not like a grizzly bear on a moose kill. They're pretty aggressive, but the black bears on the dog food baits they're they get run off all the time. So they just leave and come back. So that's what that one did. It just ran off for 10 minutes, came right back to the bait and started eating dog food again. So I heard, I don't know if it's true or not. You're the bear expert. I heard when it comes to bears in Alaska, if you're getting attacked by a bear, whether if it's a black bear, you're supposed to fight back. If it's a grizzly bear, you play dead. Is there any truth behind that? I have never been attacked by a bear, um, but I've also heard the same thing that you said. But honestly, if, if you're getting chewed on by a bear, I, I don't think you're going to win either way. Um, but to keep it at bay, yeah, I would say black bears, especially like where we were there, 
they're so used because they're on the baits all the time they're so used to people coming into the baits to you know put dog food and stuff out oh another thing we put out was buckets of bacon grease they oh they went mental for that bacon grease man they loved it where are you getting buckets of bacon grease like how long does somebody how much bacon does one have to cook some a couple couple pounds of bacon a day a good amount of bacon. No, I honestly, I don't know where <laughs> all of the bacon grease came from. Is there I, just like a big, I have like, a pretty good idea where oh, it was came, there a waffle house? Bacon. There's probably a waffle house up there by Alaska that you guys yeah, right to. about ten minutes from our camp, right up river. You know, there's waffle house. I think there was a Denny's right next door to it as well. You know, nice. They were all right there. They gave but us. But you guys bacon have all grease. the amenities up there. Yeah, Alaska. we're we're not out in the middle of nowhere at all. That's what we like to hear. Yeah, but so, so from what I understand, you don't only hunt black bear up in alaska you do a handful of other things up there such as the g word well yeah i'm or working towards the yeah G word. i yeah I, i'm eligible to get my guide Heading license to the g now. spot <laughs> the g spot yeah that's where i'm on my way to but yeah i'm eligible to get my guide license right now i'm gonna get it next year um yeah i'll be guiding moose and brown bear hunts so and i was i've been up in moose camp that's where i was last year you guys have heard me talk about that could you shut up, please? You've you've heard me talk about that uh, in the Alaska Elite Outfitters podcast, so you know all about what I'm doing with that. Um, I guess I could go into it again. Yeah, I think have you, you talked should. about the Just, fishing? Yeah, we talked about that in, uh, with uh, Klobuchar. The commercial right. fishing? Mm-hmm. Just a little bit, but yeah. So I've, I mean, this is I your started doing so in case because I mean some people don't. Yeah, they might not hear that one yet. But if you talk about it now, they're like, oh, damn, he goes into might it again. Well go back and so listen. we might as well go back and listen to that again. So, Frank, why don't you just break us down what's going on with that? Yeah, so what got me up to Alaska originally uh, was probably when I was in about, I think I was a f- either a freshman or a sophomore in high school was the first year I went up uh, commercial fishing. I went up in seventh grade doing the black bear hunt, and then I got into commercial fishing and I got into that because my dad, in the fall when he was hunting, they had a pilot uh, that was just a local guy around Dillingham, Alaska, and his whole family was big into commercial fishing. That was basically their livelihood throughout the year, and or I should, the summer, I should say, and his brother needed some help commercial fishing, so he told, uh, my, the pilot told my dad that he needed some help, so me and my dad started going up, and that was a lot of fun. It was it's not like you know, a lot of every time I tell people about that, they're like, oh, you're out on the boat like the deadliest catch guys. And I'm like, yeah, I'll let you think that for a minute because it's pretty cool. But no, that's not even close to what it is. Like what we were doing was set netting and it's all on the beach. There's no boat involved except uh, what they would do sometimes. Like they would open and close the season throughout the day sometimes depending on the number of fish that are getting up the river. Hmm. So they have like counters in the river. So say they... Their, their target for the river today is 50,000 fish. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, you know, made up number. But if that's what they it's want. Made up name. <laughs> made up name, man. So if they get that number up river, they open the season, you're good to fish until they say to close it. And if they close the season for an extended period of time on the bay, sometimes they'll open it in the river. So we got shut down on the beach out in Nushigak Bay for probably about a week and during that time we went up into the river and we're fishing set netting out of a just a small skiff it was probably about a 20 foot boat now, but now you're, you're targeting kings in these nets no 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 we were what were uh, you targeting 
uh, sockeyes. Sockeye salmon. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you ever catch any like untargeted species in your nets? Yeah, we caught a few. Uh, the way gill nets work, though, it's pretty a pretty foolproof method. Like you're not you catch a few. Like kings get caught because they're so big, their bottom jaw gets caught and they have teeth, so they'll get caught by their bottom jaw, just get tangled up. But for the most part, if you have a net for that fish, that's pretty much all you're going to catch. We caught a few, like, dollies and stuff, mm-hmm. but that's about it. You don't get a whole lot of bycatch, and there's not a lot of other fish running at the same time. You know, like, yeah. the sockeyes are running. You're not going to have pinks running at the same time. It's yeah. gotcha. The seasons are different, so you don't get a huge byproduct of fish even in the area to catch. Now, I'm not sure where Nushigak Bay is, but I know, like, a lot of inlets to you rivers. Bristol Bay is? I'll be honest, I'm not a big uh, okay, map well, guy. Well, you should bone up on your maps, so you can be maps, Tom can be shapes. I'll look at it. I'm not Tom. Tom's geometry, I'm geography. Yeah. See how that goes. But it's southwest Alaska. Anyways, I know that there are uh, sharks on the coast of Alaska, like salmon sharks. I just didn't know if they were anywhere near where you were. We never had any problems with them. I mean, I don't even... We weren't in saltwater. Okay. Uh, Nushigak Bay's brackish because okay. it's, you know, Nushigak Bay feeds into it and the Wood River comes into it. So it's brackish water. But we did get belugas from That's time to cool. time. That's pretty cool. You ever yeah. see belugas yeah, we had, out there? Oh, and they would tear through the nets. Like, they'd get right up close to shore where the salmon are running and just blow through nets, you know, blowing huge holes. And you're like, okay, that net is junk. And Pull a new one out. Yeah. So that was really cool seeing the blue... Or, I almost said blue whales, beluga whales. That'd be cool to see a blue whale in your net. Yeah. How do you think they would hold up against your net? Probably just go right through it, huh? No, I think you'd probably catch a blue whale. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a sturdy net, but the belugas are, I've heard, they do a lot more weightlifting than the blue whales, so they're they're more geared for ripping through nets. They're kind of like a narwhal, but without the horn. Yeah. Narwhals are pretty sweet. You ever see a narwhal? Not there. Those are in Antarctica, aren't they? You're the geography guy. Yeah, why don't you tell not yet. us? I'm not. I'm not quite sure where they are. Well, then why don't you let's quit with the questions until you have the answers? They're where it's cold. Yeah, it's got to be pretty cold. I know they come up in like cracks in the ice. So probably the north or the south pole. Yeah, one of them. Or Santa Claus. No, I'm from the North Pole. <laughs> not, not even, even close, close to here. here. Maybe you should consider getting a uh, high quality net made here in America. Well, I know you do that, so I'll have you sew do one you up make for nets, me. Nick? I don't personally make nets. I've designed nets, but could they hold them. an narwhal? Uh, they, the ones we're making right or just finished are, I don't know if you guys are up to date with your current events, but there's a huge bar. Do they hold coronavirus? No, not for that. Put them up around your house. You're guaranteed to not get it. Yep. That's what our mosquito nets are for. Uh, if you go down into Georgia right now, there's a huge barge tipped over on its side with thousands of Hyundai Sonatas on it. And, uh, we made the nets that are going to help pull the barge out in pieces. So yeah, it's going to hold... The tensile strength on these nets are each strand is twelve thousand pounds. And that's there's not a lot even of them. close to how strong a narwhal is. Yeah, that's each strand, and there's a lot of them. That's not even close to how strong a narwhal. I is. think a narwhal is going right through it. Mm-hmm. Are, what is it off the coast or is it in a river? It's off the coast. Like there's literally pictures. Well, good thing there's no narwhals in the Gulf of Mexico on the beach with this huge barge tipped over. It's wild. I, that does sound wild. Well, yeah. thank you for your service and yeah, making I'm not those building nets. them. You are. I'm not. But let's get back to Frank here. Yeah, I guess we're yeah, talking enough about you, Nick. Come on, for being so selfish. Yeah. 
so that's where the whole uh that's where my career in commercial fishing was and that only lasted for a couple years i'd like to get back up doing it but the guy that i used to work for doesn't need help anymore he's got a couple daughters that help him so yeah but i'd like to do it again but i get up there all the time so as long as i'm up there in alaska i'm having a good time and that's where the whole guiding thing came from my you've heard how my dad got up there in the alaska lead outfitters podcast and just him being up there lends itself to me being up there so and I want, I was trying to get up there years ago when I was, you know, as soon as I was 18 and eligible to get a license, as far as my age goes, I was, I wanted to get up there, but the guy that he worked for didn't need any help. And that guy retired. And then, uh, we were going to the Harrisburg show and I talked my dad into coming with me and we met a guy that owns Alaska lead outfitters. Mike Vanstrom is his name. And so, yeah, now I'm working for him up there and I'm, eligible to get my guide license now but i'm gonna wait one more year to get it and then if you if anyone feels like booking a hunt with me feel you free to get the second one yeah i've already claimed yeah Frank's nick first did hunt. claim the first hunt once i get my guide license so beware so i'm not i'm not done with this whole fish in alaska thing because i know you just talked a lot about the commercial fishing but from what i understand when you were up there black bear hunting you know you killed your bear early in the hunt yeah, I was there for two weeks, and Wait, I killed You're telling my... me you didn't do it on the last sit of the last day? Yeah, last five minutes night, in the last hunt. hour. Yeah, but that is usually how hunting TV shows go. So it is a shock that I killed it on, I think it was the fifth or the sixth day of the hunt, and I was up there for two weeks. And from what I hear, you know, that next week, you did a lot of, you know, fishing pole fishing, none of this commercial Yeah, none stuff. of them... None of them square hook uh, deals, but yeah. Uh, Let's hear about that. Pretty much all pike fishing, actually. We were on the Tanana River when I shot my black bear, and we were just fishing in the sloughs and stuff, catching northerns. We weren't really where the Tanana is. You don't really get much of a salmon run there. And there's, you know, like the dollies and stuff that are native fish and some rainbows. But for the most part, we were just slamming pike. And we didn't catch any big pike, but we just as as long as you had something in the water you were catching a northern anywhere from 15 to 36 inches was you know anywhere in there you were just hammering them all day long that was pretty much all we caught was northerns we didn't really get into anything else ko wobblers (laughs) buddy ko wobblers and a little cleos too a lot actually and obviously the red and white daredevil you can't go wrong with those man if you want to catch northerns red and white daredevil will get it done all day long. if you want to catch any fish ever Mm-hmm. doesn't even matter. There, there's like, a lot of times where me and Frank will be out musky fishing or pike fishing, just predator fishing, and it'll be a slow day, and without without doubt he'll he'll pull out that red and white daredevil. Absolutely. And he, might, he might not catch a predator fish, but uh, a largemouth bass or something is going to smack that, and we won't go home empty-handed. Yeah, exactly. You will always catch something on one of those. That, that's one of those things like the original Rapala. They just, they, they just, just flat catch out fish. catch fish. Yeah. Is it no two ways is it about Rapala it? Is it or Rapala? Rapala. I'm a Rapala guy. I'm a Rapala. Everybody's guy. a Rapala. Okay. Yeah. Just, while we're yeah. on the the R words, uh, Raymond or ramen noodles. Whew. That's Raymond. 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 I'm, I'm a e. Raymond. There's guy. an see, E after see, the M. See, if I'm saying the full name Raymond noodles, I'll say it that way. But if I just refer to it as ramen, that's how I'm saying that's it. That's stupid. I'll Absolutely say it right not. to your face. Yeah, I'm a Raymond guy. I know. I feel like the majority of people are ramen. Majority people. is ramen. Yes. Is yeah. There, it, it's not R A H M E N. It's R A 
M E N. Yeah, but this is the English language we're talking exactly, about. Exactly, and it's I being feel sold like in America. Knife I feel has like a K. I feel like the Raymond it. Ramen thing didn't come. I didn't start in America. Isn't that like I don't know. Yeah, I always, I always thought chi- or Chile was Mexican. Geology. No, it's not. Geography. It's not? I'm a, I'm a rocks no. guy. Chile's an American dish. Switch my name. I would have bet money it was a Mexican dish. Yeah, that is an American dish. I thought it came from, like, Chile or something. You would have thought no. it would have came from South America. Anyway. South America? Chile. That's where Chile is. Don't you know It's nothing? not even spelled the same. Nick is not a geography guy. <laughs> no, that's what we have Luke for. It's not even spelled the same. Just add Could you e. spell it? Which one? The food? C H I L L I. No. Actually, there's no, 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 no. double so, L. D- no. Credibility no. shot. Yeah. You just stop talking. Could you just sit this podcast yep. out? Yep. Nick, so you guys get out. outside. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Frank, you know, we've covered your guiding in Alaska, your hunting and stuff, but you are also a very decorated shot with a shotgun in specifically the Trapple region. I think I think I could take Frank in a one-on-one shoot-off. Mm. Mono e mono. Carl, what's that mean? I don't know. <laughs> so give us the rundown, maybe how you got into trap shooting and where it took you. Because, I mean, that it's, you know, I think a lot of people are looking for things to do in the wintertime uh, that like getting outdoors, and I think that's definitely something that people get in, get in on. So if you could break it down, maybe how you got in well, and I w- said where, where it took you. Well, I didn't really do it in the wintertime. I, I don't know summer, why you I? said that. No, no you, you definitely said, said summer. I meant or winter. Oh, now, oh, now you got <laughs> me Credibility shot. Yep, yeah, yeah, I'll sit this one out too, guys. <laughs> All right, so I meant summer. Yeah, summertime. In the summertime when the weather's hot. In 2008, I believe, was my first year. And I don't really know how it started. I don't remember if my dad asked me, you know, if I wanted to get into it. Well, or I, we, I vaguely remember by. you telling me a story of how it started. What's the it, story? Because I don't even remember. I that. could be wrong. I could be wrong, but are you about to shoot your credibility here too? No. From what I remember, Frank was telling me a story. He was at his hunter safety course, and at the hunter safety course, you do some target shooting, and they let you shoot trap. And old Frank goes I do up remember there, this. and I want to say he shot five in a row, and goes, maybe this sport is something I should look into. That, that did happen, but it was a few years after that that I started doing because I took my hunter safety course. When, can you take it when you're 11? I you take it when you're 11, 11 so you can yeah. start hunting when you're 12. Okay, yep. yeah. So I took it when I was 11. I didn't start shooting Credibility until, regained. Yes. I started shooting in 2008, so I would have been 14. Actually, I would have been 13 when I started because of when my birthday is. So, yeah, I start, that was the first time I ever shot a clay target and... Had a pretty good time. A little bit of success right off the bat. And got into it full-time, as they say, in 2008. And started shooting competitions and practicing all the time. And the first few years, you know, I was just getting the hang of it. And, you know, shooting a cheap gun and stuff. And eventually I figured it out a little bit. Got pretty good. And won a couple uh, of team state titles through the SCTP and AIM with uh i had there was obviously four other people on my team and well so some people might maybe not realize that do you want to explain yeah how I mean, like trap shooting goes and maybe like just a little breakdown on what it takes or what you're doing yeah. there I mean, most of what i did was individual throughout the majority of the time i was doing it but in like the aim and sctp thing that was pretty much all team stuff and 
there's five other people or five total people on a trap team because you know there's five spots on a trap field for those of you that shoot trap know that but if you don't there's five spots on a trap field and so we had four other people on the team and we were together the whole time through like from the first day I was shooting me and those four other people shot together until we graduated high school and all went to college so we were a team the whole time all the way through and we were that trap shooting actually kind of led you to your first college, didn't it? Yes, it did. Um, yeah, well, well, I think he's, you're working towards yeah, that, correct? Oh, yeah, well, Luke, I just heard him Luke's mention, in a hurry. I just heard him mention it. Luke's in a hurry. He apparently wants to go to bed or something. But uh, Got nothing to do anymore. Yeah, with Corona, Corona shut the, shutting everyone shut down. The country, down. But they can't shut down the White Cat Outdoors podcast. No, they can't. We are essential. We are, what is it, life-sustaining? We are a life-sustaining business. We're keeping every, well... Our doors are open. You shouldn't be outside right now, but we're telling you to get outside. One of the best parts about this whole shutdown is now you can listen to the White Cat Outdoors podcast midday drinking beer. All day long. You can day drink with us during the White Cat Outdoors podcast. How could you go wrong? You can't. I'll tell you that. You can't beat that with a stick. Nope. Couldn't beat it with a beer bottle. It's like, uh, you can't finish that one. Yeah, why don't you just take a seat. Your credibility shot yep. too. So we were four for four out of here. I, my credibility was never shot. Mine was never. It shot It was either. shot I when just... you turned your mic on this morning. Or so this afternoon. podcast is silent from now on for about the next hour and a half. So Stay thanks tuned. for listening. Where were we? Um, you were talking about how good of a trap shooter you were with four, four other yeah, people. Teammates. You're just bragging. And we're our that team was a very successful team. We won states. Oh. Quite a few years in a row. I don't even remember how many years in a row it was, but too many to count. Yeah, it was. We were we were a solid team, and we took second at nationals the one year. We took third the year after that. We that team never won a national championship, but we were solid. We should have actually had it the one year. We ended up losing by five targets at the very end. You know, with our thousand bird score, and in the last fifteen targets of the competition. One of my teammates got stung by a bee out on the trap line, and it threw him for a loop. He couldn't concentrate, and he dropped 10 out of his last 15 birds, and we ended up losing by five. And this kid was a pretty good shot. You know, He normally would have broken all 15 of those targets, but he got stung by a bee, lost his focus, ended up dropping all the targets, so we took second that year. Should have been first, but you know, could have, should have, would have. It was second place. Year after that, we took third, and that was the last year we went to nationals. That was towards the end of my career doing American trap. And then after that, I started shooting Olympic-style trap, which is also called bunker trap. And so I, you left the trap? No, I left one style of trap to go to another style of trap. So I was still in the trap life. Different trap time. house, though? Yeah, different trap house. Same trap, different house. Different trap, too. It was all different. Trapping every day. So the style that they shoot in the Olympics is much, much harder than American trap. And that's what I started doing right before college. I think I started that my junior year of high school or the beginning of my senior year. I can't really remember. Uh, the local trap house that we shoot at actually just installed a bunker trap kind of right before you went off to college, didn't they? Yeah, like a cu- me and two other people in the area were big into that or I was starting to get into it. there was two others that were already really big into it and they kind of mentored me it was uh Andy Tobin and Brandy Hobbs are their names she was on the USA team for a little bit wasn't she yes she was 
That actually, now that I say it, should be a good podcast, too, would be... Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's definitely got some really great stories to tell about, you know, traveling all over the world shooting and stuff. So they kind of got me into the bunker trap world and really helped me along and taught me a lot with that. So our gun club, with the three of us being interested in it, decided to spend the money. And we didn't put in a full-blown bunker. We just put in what's called a Canterbury. It's a simulation of a bunker and... I won't get into all that that entails because that's quite a story. If we do an actual trap podcast, then... Yeah, we'll, that's something we could do if we can get Brandy on here. Yeah, and we can we talk can about the difference and all the different shooting sports. That'd be a good thing to talk about. So yeah, we I got into that and I did that for a few years. And that was, like Luke said, that's what ended up getting me to my first... Like where I went to college in St. Louis, or actually it's in St. Charles, Missouri. I went to Lindenwood University because of the bunker trap shooting. Sorry, I was taking a sip of beer there. It's good stuff. Uh, So yeah, that's how I ended up getting into that university. I went there pretty much specifically for shooting. I've never been a big school guy, which uh, I would recommend that you kids stay in school and stuff, go to college, but whatever. Um, So I went there to shoot and had a really really good time there we traveled all over the place and i traveled all over the place in high school and stuff to colorado and arizona and texas and stuff going to different shoots to georgia and just it was a lot of fun you know we i had a really good time it really took me a lot of places and i met a lot of people that i never would have met or and i did things that i never would have done if it weren't for getting into shooting and pursuing that you know like a lot of people in high school pursue football or baseball or whatever and my thing was shooting and that took me way farther than I ever imagined it would so with your you shot trap for quite a bit um is there any correlation do you think with um shooting like that much and how accurate you are like with a bow or a rifle now and like in a hunting uh scenario Actually, I have a lot of bad habits for shooting a bow because of my trap shooting. Really? Yeah. They they are not the same at all. Because uh, with a bow, you want it to be 100% surprise shot. You know, you you want to have a, like a hair trigger, you know, and just be rock solid on your target and slowly touch off. Or like same with a rifle. It's a real slow squeeze and that shot surprises you. With trap shooting, you slap the trigger. You know, as soon you know, you just swing and slap, and that trigger goes off exactly when you want it to. And so, me shooting hundreds of thousands of rounds with my shotgun shooting trap, I've developed a reflex of when I'm on my target, I pull the trigger. So it's it takes me a lot to break that habit. Of, and even though I don't shoot near as much as I used to anymore with my shotgun, it's still ingrained into my mind. When you touch your target, you slap the trigger. So it's taken me quite a bit to get away from that habit and get into that relaxed shot. And that's I actually switched to a back tension release. This is exactly what I was going to ask you, is if, if, yeah. there's, if you've done anything to help yourself get over Mm -hmm. that yeah i did because you know i shot a wrist release forever and you know that my trigger finger with my shotgun and my release is my pointer finger so 
my pointer finger is just so used to my brain just tells it to slap and I you know was watching a video one day and I saw someone using a back tension release and I didn't even you know look into what they were at all or how they worked I just watched a video of someone using one and I immediately it clicked I was like I have to have one of those because I know that will solve my problem and since I started shooting it it has really really helped that issue with me having target panic and slapping the trigger because it's just a totally different style of release, you know, with you're using different fingers. Yeah, there's and no it, real like trigger finger anymore. No, it's all, you know, you just kind of roll and use your tension on your back to get that shot to go off. So it, I've, it's more of a surprise shot, I yeah, think is what they're exactly. aiming to do with that. Yeah, yeah definitely. And yeah, so that helped me a lot to break that habit of, you know, slapping like a shotgun. And so, yeah, if you're uh, looking to get real into bow hunting, I wouldn't say also get real into trap shooting because the whole ideology between the two doesn't really mix. The mental aspect, definitely, because that trap is literally 100% mental. I would say if you have any ability with a firearm, you can shoot trap to a, a pretty good degree. But to get to like the next level, it's all mental, 100%. So with your uh, back tension release, I know you shoot target with it because that's what we do quite a bit right now. Do you plan on hunting with it, or what's your plans for come fall? I haven't hunted with it yet. Um, when I first bought it, I honestly didn't think I would be comfortable shooting it hunting. But after shooting it throughout the you know our whole winter league and stuff, and I plan on shooting it all summer long practicing, I'm pretty comfortable with it now, and I honestly think that I would be comfortable hunting with it. Is there any uh, like safety on it to where if you didn't uh, want to shoot, are you able to release and come back down? Tom, what are you doing? I'm just lighting up a smoke. You Are we doing a smoke break real quick? Yeah, I think we ought to. Well, I guess since it is Frank's host hot seat, we'll uh, let him lead us into the smoke break. I earned a smoke? Yeah, Frank earned a smoke. So this week's smoke break, I actually got this recipe from our good buddy Andy Larson, and it's it's a real solid backstrap smoke break. Everyone loves their backstraps. This is a pretty handy way to prepare them. Everyone that I have made them for absolutely loved it. So what you're gonna need is one or more backstraps, however many you feel like making. Preferably venison. Yes, absolutely. And bacon. You're gonna want I put shredded cheese into the cream cheese that you're also going to need and just mix up the shredded cheese and cream cheese whatever kind of cheese you want if you want some you know pepper jack cheese throw that in there if you want some sharp cheddar it's all it's all on you have fun with it a little something i've been eager to try uh if anybody else here follows hunt chef on instagram uh that guy's got a whole new line of seasonings and rubs out right now and you know, I got a little taste test while we were down in Harrisburg, and they are phenomenal. They are. Um, you, I haven't gotten a chance to order some, but I want to get our hands on some. And I need, we want to try this recipe. You sprinkle a little bit. There's one that's got like a, little, a lot of brown sugar in it. Uh, I think it was. Uh, I can't remember the name of them. I'm sorry about that. But check out Hunt Chef's uh, website, HuntChef.com, and check out some of those seasonings because they are delicious. Yeah, for sure. So if you have any Hunt Chef seasonings, feel free throw them on there. It'll be delicious. But what I did with these, like I said, I mixed the shredded cheese, whatever kind you like, in with some cream cheese. 
And then you take your back strap and whatever will fit in your smoker. If you can leave it whole to fit in a smoker, do that. Or if you got to cut it in half, you can do that. Wrap it in bacon, but leave some space between the bacon so the smoke can penetrate into the back strap. Oh, you're saying it's like almost like a spiral of bacon around the back strap. Is that what you mean yeah. by putting space between? Yeah. yeah, you don't want it to be completely encased in bacon because the smoke doesn't penetrate all the way through. I'm just making sure because for a split second, I'm thinking like how to space the bacon off of the back strap. Yeah, you're going to want to put about a <laughs> half-inch gap. <laughs> yeah, put a spacer in there. Yeah. Don't eat it, but... No. Uh, it's a spiral the bacon Bacon around. should be touching the back strap. Yes. Yeah. It's not completely covering but the But bacon strap. shouldn't be touching bacon. That That's perfect. Bacon does not touch bacon. Bacon touches backstrap. So butterfly your backstrap. Just open it up and take your cream cheese mix, stuff it inside of there. Really mash it in there. Oh, yeah. Get it in there real good. You can even put a little jalapeno pepper in there. Oh, yeah. Put anything you want in there. Stuff it up. And tell us if you guys do this and you decide to spice it up a bit, let us know what you did because I'm always fixing to try it. Yeah. So stuff your backstrap, wrap it in bacon, spiral it. Make sure it's touching the back strap and throw it in the smoker. I am not a huge, like really strong smoke guy, so I like to yeah. smoke with apple. That's that's my go to wood for doing these back straps. And I smoke it at about two hundred to two hundred and twenty five degrees and it doesn't take too long. It, I cook it I like uh rare meat, so it all depends on what you like to cook it to. So just pay attention to the temperature when it's rare or medium rare, however you like it. Pull it out, and I just cut it into— Well, at that, at that temperature, 200 to 225, how long does that take to get it rare? About an hour and a half-ish. And then, yeah, you're, like I know a lot of times when we prepared it for like groups of people, we went more towards that medium rare. Yeah, most people we like were, the medium. We were going towards closer to like that three-hour mark. I believe. No. No, no three, not even. No. no, not three hours. That's way too long. Really? Your credibility again is shot. Well it's so already close shot. To like so. the two hour mark. Yeah. I mean Nick, if you Nick look at the if you look at all hours. of the numbers in the world, it's really I wasn't not that, that far, far apart. Off. It's not. Yeah, so, but if you look at all of the numbers in three hours, you were a whole hour off. So And that is mm. what we're looking at. We yeah. are looking at that. So don't mm. smoke it for three hours. That'll be way too long. Unless you like it well done. And if you like it well done, don't probably try. not much of a fan of meat. Yeah. So that's how you're going to want to do it. Just pay attention to the temperature, and whenever it's to your liking, however you like your meat cooked. Could you just roll over the times one more time without Nick's stupidity screwing it up? Yeah. Go with an hour and a half, and you know, you'll, you'll probably be pretty happy with an hour and a half at 225 degrees. Pull her out, and I just slice it up, you know, probably about medallions, if you will. Yeah, about a half inch thick, maybe a little more, three quarter, depending on what you're looking for. Depends on how much you like your guests. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, oh man, it is to die for. Juicy, that cheese is just right. The bacon keeps it nice and moist. It's, and it's good stuff. that apple adds a delicious flavor. Yeah, the smoke is just right. I so. prefer to uh, use pine chips, but that's just me. <laughs> that's your stuff? Yeah, your credibility is also gone. Yeah. So everyone thank Andy Larson for that smoke break. Try it out. Let us know what you think. And if you're wondering, yes, that is a relative of the one and only Lead Fly, Jared Larson. Yes, it is. And don't forget to try them Hunt Chef spices. For sure. So where we were when Frank was interrupted is he was telling us— Who was he interrupted by? Yeah, well, you guys always give me shit for, oh, you're not talking enough. Well, every time I try and talk, I get interrupted, so 
I'm we're, doing we're trying a new thing out here tonight. But Frank was over there. He was telling us about uh, the safety here features. Here I am getting interrupted on, again. Yeah, <laughs> just accept it. <laughs> Frank's I'll telling us about the up. safety features on his back tension release that he now has at the table for our viewing pleasure. Yeah, it's sitting right here. I shoot a true fire, and it does not have a safety on him. I know, like, I think True Ball makes one that actually has a safety on it, and. You know, it literally cannot go off until you touch the safety off. Naturally, that's what a safety does. But mine does not have a safety. If you if you pull it back, if you're at half draw and you start to roll your hand back, it's going to go off. Okay, so the, is there like adjustments on that to where like for the right weight or anything? Because I know certain releases I've looked at, there's like a an adjustment for how much weight. Um, I guess it, maybe it wasn't quite a back tension release. There's another one. Nope, no adjustments. No, there are adjustments nope, on it. None. It's not as far as weight goes. It's it, it's called like how hot the release is. Okay. And it just how, how far much, you got to roll it before. Yeah, it goes exactly. Off. And how, there is there's like a if you're listening, obviously you're concentrating. You can hear there's like a single click that kind of tells you that you're ready to fire, correct? And then it releases. then it'll go off. Yeah, I don't know if all back tensions are like that. That's what the true fire is it has like as you start to roll your you know roll it back it has one little click you can actually hear ready listen i don't know if you could hear that on on the mics yeah so it has a little click and then you know you pull with your back and it'll go off so that's literally all it has for a safety it's not really safety it's just like a warning when it clicks that it's hey it's about to go off gotcha so before we get any further, um, earlier this morning I put out a post that uh, we were going to be doing this host hot seat, uh, and if anybody had any questions, that we would go over them. And Do we have we, some questions? We had two. Uh, first one I want to go over is our friend Luke Zimmer. Luke Zimmer wants to know, if you could go anywhere in the world to hunt, where would you go and what would you be hunting? And Why? Yeah, yeah, that's. A I, good point. I planned why? on giving the why. Uh, for a while, I wanted to do a red stag hunt because I just think red stag are just such beautiful animals, and for delicious meat too. Actually, we, I've, we've eaten red stag up back when uh, the guy up by our camp used to have red stag, mm-hmm. and we used to. It was farm raised, but very delicious. D- very mm-hmm. yeah, delicious. Yeah, so I've always kind of wanted to do that. I don't like the fact that most red stag hunts are fenced hunts. Like, if you want a big red stag, you're going to be in a fence. And, like, New Zealand stuff, it's pretty much all fence hunts. And I'm not real big on fences. You know, some people are all about it, but it's not really for me. So that kind of turned me off of the red stag thing. But one thing that I really, really want to do is an ibex hunt. I I would love to shoot an ibex with my bow. I am... uh... Not very familiar with. I'm not sure if that's a another type of deer or what. What is an ibex? An ibex is a goat. It has real like long curl. It's not like a curl like a sheep. It's like a curve. More yeah, a, it's more of a curve than a curl. Like if you took a straight line and you just grabbed it on each end. And sorry, I was away from the mic. Sorry, Brad. <laughs> if you get on both ends, you just bend it a little bit. It just adds like a nice arc. Yeah. It seems like something you'd see out like in Africa or something. No, they're. Uh, like in Asia and the Middle East is where you'll find, and Europe, there's like a lot a, of it's them. It's a big mountain goat, lot, really long fur, right? Your hair. Mm, yeah, but you, uh, in like the, I think it was the 70s. I honestly don't know the exact dates on this stuff, but they moved 
some to the United States. So in New Mexico, there's a population that's been in the, you know, been wild since. The, like so you have natives now that have been born in the U.S. Yeah, they've been points. there since like the 60s or 70s. I can't Very remember cool. the first year that they actually brought them to the U.S., but they're there's a huntable population in New Mexico. It takes quite a bit to draw the tag, so it's not like something that you're going to go plan and do tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But I've talked to a few different outfitters that do it, and they say it's a pretty tall order to kill one with a bow. The bow tag is a lot easier to get than a rifle tag, and I'm pretty sure the rifle tag is a one-time thing. Once you draw it, you can never draw it again. Hmm. So Wow. Yeah, and the bow one is still difficult to get but it's not like impossible so that is a big hunt that i would love to do and what tom i was gonna say i bet you'd have fun on that hunt i bet ibex (laughs) pretty similar wow that was that was great everyone give tom a round of applause that was pretty clever that was great perfect um so yeah that's like my all-time dream hunt is to kill an ibex with my bow and for a while I thought, cause like Ibex hunts are kind of like sheep hunts. Like if you go to Europe and stuff, they're really expensive hunts. So when I found out that there was a population to hunt in the United States, that's a lot cheaper, I got pretty pumped. So I definitely plan on doing that hunt sometime in the future. That's how, how big are Ibex? Like how many pounds? They're not a huge animal. I mean like a hundred pounds, hundred and you know, they're, they're not big. But their their horns are really cool looking. They just got a real nice curve to them, as Nick said, and they they got a little bit of character, like some bumps and stuff on their horns. They're they're really neat looking. So that's my all time hunt. Yeah. So thanks for the question, Luke. We appreciate it. Yeah, always appreciate the questions, and not even just for the host hot seats. If there's anything you guys want to know about us, uh, send them in. Uh, but our second question comes from our one and only good friend, Ben Flack, who's actually... You just out. said we have one friend. Our one and only friend. <laughs> yeah. I think... It, He's our only He is friend. the one and only Ben Flack. Thank you for your service. He is our friend. Yeah, he is, our, he is one of our friends, not the one and only. Yes, Frank, good point. Thank you for your service, Ben. Thank you, yeah, Ben. Thank you, Ben, so much. Ben's in the Navy, So if you guys ben, were wondering. Ben He's a hero. said his question is... the. What everyone wants to know, not just him. He has stated that everyone wants to know when are white cat shirts going to be available. Oh man, he's asking about the merch. Well, fill we, them in, Frank. We'll give you the the honors. I'll give you. I'll, I'll give it to you guys straight. We we got some hats. If you guys want some, we have them available. We don't have shirts and hoodies and stuff like that yet. We're getting there, but we do have some hats and. Just so you guys know, we do plan on doing a little giveaway with some hats. So keep an eye out on our social media, Instagram and Facebook, for the details on how to get in to win that hat. With no charge. It's Literally be free. no charge. So Ben... Can't beat that with a stick. Yeah. Ben, stay patient, buddy. We're getting the hats out there. Uh, other stuff's in the works. We're just you know working on some design stuff and picking some products out. Um, but it's coming. So... I want to thank everybody for the questions. And like I said, stay tuned. Look on our social media in the next few days. We're going to be doing a giveaway on some hats, and the details will be on our social media accounts. Well, that's it for our questions. But before we wrap things up tonight, we just want to ask Frank about his number one all-time, hands-down, best 
greatest Undisputed. outdoor story. Undisputed champion of the world. Oh man, that's that's tough. I'm looking minus, at a lot of them hanging on the wall right here. Minus the hundred and forty some odd inch Pope and Young whitetail because we've heard that story. Yeah. Um. Other than that, I'm staring at it right now. If you could relive one outdoor moment, hands down the best. Chewing acorns with Tom Soboleski. That was a pretty good one. That one's pretty high up there on the list. That's what that's what kicked all this off was the chewing acorns. So that one's up there. And honestly, it'd just be pretty much anything with my dad. Like up in Alaska and moose camp or, you know, my black bear hunt. All of that stuff up in Alaska has really just stood out in my mind with all of my outdoor experiences. Everything up there is just phenomenal. I've Love every second I spend up there, not just because of, you know, being outdoors and the different things that you get to see. Because, you know, in Pennsylvania, you're not going to go walk out back and see a moose or a grizzly bear. So it's really cool to see those different things up there. And I get to do it with my dad. And that's that's a really special thing that a lot of people don't get to share with their parents. You know, me and my dad both have a passion for the outdoors. And we get to, we found a way to make a I don't want to say I make a living out of it. You but make money doing it. It pays yeah, for itself. It's, exactly. It's some certain aspects. Yeah. And, you know, you can make a little bit of money at it. And we get to spend all that time together and learn different things about the outdoors and learn from each other. And it's just everything about that is phenomenal to me. And I that really stands out in my and mind. If you're looking to learn about something about the outdoors, I don't think there's any better person to be with than your dad yeah no he is hands down the greatest outdoorsman that i know that's a yeah i would agree with that a lot of my best hunting memories are with my dad as well yeah but i think before we sign it off here tonight it would only make sense if you know since frank here is our host hot seat he closed us off with a write it in pen oh man everyone click your pens and wet your quills let's do it um i guess my write it in pen would be you know, if you anyone that's got kids or, you know, if you're just someone that's looking to get into the outdoors. A lot of people don't like hunting or, you know, if you do like hunting, that's great, you know, but do something. Whether it's like I was saying, the shooting sports took me places and I met people that most people will never have that experience. So whether it's getting your child involved in going hunting with you or, you know, something like that, or getting them involved in the different shooting sports. There's a lot of different avenues in the shooting sports. So do something along those lines to get your kids outside or get yourself outside. There's so many options. And get them off social media, them, off the Xbox. Just yeah, teaching them respect for firearms, too. Is yeah, that's exactly. Huge that's huge. Yeah, and the biggest thing that I have taken away from all the different things that I've done, like I said, you can't go out in the backyard and see a moose. You know, getting up to Alaska has opened so many doors for me and different things I can do. And the shooting sports, the shooting trap, I moved to Missouri and, you know, went to college there. And I traveled all around the country doing different things and met so many people and had formed lifelong relationships through the shooting sports. So I'm a I'm a huge advocate for shooting sports. And it's even if. If guns aren't your thing or hunting or you anything. You say we are in archery I, for yeah, well, shooting or, sports. Or archery, or even if you don't like the whole aspect of killing or anything along those lines, um, I recently got into photography. Yeah, and exactly. even just like Frank said, going out and seeing a moose, like 
yeah, I I don't hunt or anything, but I, that would be on my bucket list is to get to Alaska and see a moose. Like, yeah, I just, exactly. I want to see an animal that you I can't, can't see, can't see around here. Yeah. Yeah. So just doing those different things outside to get yourself and the people around you outside for any, literally any reason. That's what, you know, I've, I've taken away from all of my outdoor experiences that there's something for everybody in the outdoors. You heard us say it once and you'll continue to hear us say it, get outside. For sure. Uh, like that was a great write in pen, Frank, everybody needs to do that. Um, and I know with this COVID-19 and everything, you know, bars are closing, stores are closing, every work's closing off. I like how uh, you started off that list with that. The bars are closing. Well, these are. are the most important. Yeah, I was going to say, is that what's impacting you the most here? No, not necessarily. <laughs> but it's it got nothing to do on I was Thursdays, going alphabetical <laughs> and it was B. So there we are. Uh, but there's one thing that they can't close down and that is the outdoors. So make sure during this quarantine, you guys are getting out there going fishing, you know, you're going hunting, doing something, uh, whatever it is. Wait, just can, make sure. wait can I, since it's my host, Hotsy, I know we didn't do it for Tom, but could I say get outside? If you, if you wish, if you want to. I'll do it just right. one time. You can have it back next right. week. Frank, we'll I'll count you down. Three, right. two, one. Hey, everybody, please get outside. <laughs>